Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Lifesaver, my healer, my nourisher. So I'm happy to speak about this book, Srimad Bhagavatam. It's really like no other. Sometimes we have, you know, tongue-in-cheek titles, <laughs> but this is not like that, really. It, it really is a book like it's no other book like this. So here's the first volume of Srimad Bhagavatam. It's an 18-volume set, 12 cantos. We're going to try. The glories of Bhagavatam are actually unlimited, <laughs> but we're going to try what we can speak like in 30, 40 minutes here. So instead of, so usually we sing a particular song, Bhajan Prabhupada asked us to uh, always start each class with Jai Radha Madhava, but instead today I thought I would chant some beautiful prayers glorifying Srimad Bhagavatam by Sanatan Goswami. Sanatan Goswami is one of the six Goswamis. Um, his picture, there's like six Goswamis. They should be on the altar, I think. Um, but Sanat- in- incidentally, Sanatan Goswami's worshipable deity is Radha Madan Mohan. <laughs> so we're very fortunate to be worshiping his dear most deity here. So Sanatan Goswami actually was very, very thorough in Bhagavatam. He wrote commentaries on the Bhagavatam. And these are his heartfelt expressions or prayerful expressions about Bhagavatam, his feelings about the Bhagavatam. So let's see if this will work to get some background music here. You can repeat it long. We'll sing it twice each. And then we'll do the translation. Sarva Shastrat Bipiyusha Sarva Vedaika Satphala Sarva Siddhanta Ratnadhyaya Sarva Lokaika Drikprada Sarva Shastrat Bipiyusha Sarva Vedaika Satphala Sarva Siddhanta Ratnadhyaya Sarva Lokaika Drikprada Sarva Bhagavata Prana Srimad Bhagavata Prabhu Kalidvanto Dita Ditya Shri Krishna Parivartita Sarva Bhagavata Prana Sriman Bhagavata Prabhu Kalidvanto Dita Ditya Shri Krishna Parivartita O Srimad Bhagavatam, O nectar churned from the ocean of all the Vedic scriptures. O most prominent transcendental fruit of all the Vedas, O you who are enriched with the jewels of all spiritual philosophical conclusions, O you who grant spiritual vision to all the people of the world, O life breath of the Vaishnava devotees, O Lord, you are the sun which has arisen to dispel the darkness of the Kali Yuga. You are actually Lord Krishna who's returned among us. So Sanatan Goswami says that Srimad Bhagavatam is Krishna himself and we can actually meet Krishna in every page of the Bhagavatam if we read it with that mood and faith. And Prabhupada says in many places that Srimad Bhagavatam is the summum bonum of life uh, meaning that whatever, you know, any good we want to find, we'll find it in the Srimad Bhagavatam. There's nothing that's not there within the pages of Srimad Bhagavatam. And there's not one problem that Srimad Bhagavatam actually cannot solve. 
they say that if you're wounded, feeling wounded, just read the story of Varahadev. You want wealth, you know, there's so many stories like that. And we'll, we'll of course, you know, speak more glories as we go along. Paramananda Pataya Primavarshaksharayate Sarvada Sarvasevyaya Shri Krishnaya Namostute Paramananda Pataya Primavarshaksharayate Sarvada Sarvasevyaya Shri Krishnaya Namostate. O Srimad Bhagavatam, I offer respectful obeisances unto you. By reading you, one attains transcendental bliss, for your syllables rain pure love of God upon the reader. You're always to be served by everyone, for you are an incarnation of Lord Krishna. Krishna is to be served by everyone, so Bhagavatam is to be served by everyone as well because it's non different from Krishna. Madeka Bandu Matsangin Matguru Man Mahadana Manishtaraka Madhagya Madananda Namostute Kabandu Matsangin Madguru man mahadana Manishtaraka madbhagya Madananda namostute O Srimad Bhagavatam, O my only friend, O my companion, O my teacher, O my great wealth, O my deliverer, O my good fortune, O my bliss, I offer respectful obeisances unto you. You may think that maybe Sanatana Goswami doesn't have friends, so he's calling Bhagavatam his only friend. <laughs> but actually, Sanatana Goswami was so loved by everyone around him. I mean, every person in his town or his village actually loved him like his own father or brother or, you know, uncle, like that. In fact, when Sanatana Goswami left his body, the whole village shaved their head. <laughs> You know, because they felt like their family member left, you know, their body. So that was the quality of Sanatan Goswami. And yet he finds that Srimad Bhagavatam is only his only friend. So that should tell you something about the quality of this, you know, book. And, you know, we may lose other friends sometimes, but Srimad Bhagavatam is something that can stay with us at every step of our life. And it's also a guru, a guru who teaches in the most gentle way. Usually the word guru itself means heavy. So sometimes gurus can be very heavy. But actually Srimad Bhagavatam is a very gentle guru. And it's also Sanatana Goswami saying, oh my good fortune, right? If we want some fortune in our life, sometimes we go through phases in our life and we think, oh, fortune has left me. But actually just pick up the Bhagavatam and read and you can at once invite good fortune into your life. And the last verse in this. Asadu sadu tadayin Ati nicho chatakara Hana munchakadachin mam Prem nahrit kanta yospura Asadu sadu tadayin Ati nicho chatakara Hana munchakadachin mam O Srimad Bhagavatam, O giver of saintliness to the unsaintly, O uplifter of the very fallen, please do not ever leave me. Please become manifested upon my heart and my throat, accompanied by pure love of Krishna. Beautiful, right? Do you like the prayers? already getting us excited about the Srimad Bhagavatam. So here's a verse from Lord Chaitanya, who's on the altar. Lord Chaitanya is non different than Krishna himself. Lord Chaitanya said, always discuss Srimad Bhagavatam and constantly chant the holy name of Lord Krishna. And in this way, you'll be able to attain liberation very easily and you'll be elevated to the enjoyment of love of Godhead.
In fact, Lord Chaitanya himself, he would study Bhagavatam constantly. He, uh, there were certain pastimes that he was particularly fond, out and fond of, and he would repeatedly, repeatedly ask his associate, Gadadhar Pandit, to recite, like Dhruva Maharaja's pastime and Prahlad Maharaja's pastime. Here's a nice quote by Prabhupada on the Bhagavatam. He said, As God is all light, all bliss, and all perfection, so also is Srimad Bhagavatam. And in fact, when Srila Prabhupada came to this country, what is the one book he really translated before coming to this country was Srimad Bhagavatam. And when he came to this country, all he had was a little trunk, and you know, he had Srimad Bhagavatam translations in that. He had seven dollars and a couple of personal items, and that's about it. And when he came to the Boston Harbor, he was looking at who's around, and he was looking, uh, you know, what people are really absorbed in. And he was thinking, you know, I'm supposed to spread this message of bhakti, devotional service to this Western world, and look where these people are at. You know, he was in the Bowery that time, New York, Lower East Side. And he was thinking, how am I going to really make an impact on these people? And that's, he thought of a couple of verses from the Bhagavatam at that time. And, he, and in the Bhagavatam it says that simply by giving oral reception to the messages of Bhagavatam, actually once Krishna seated within one's heart actually purifies one's heart. And so he thought, you know, I'm just going to speak on the Bhagavatam, I'm going to chant the holy name, and that's the only hope. That's how these people's consciousness will get elevated, and that's how I'm going to be able to actually spread this message of bhakti. Here's a verse from the Bhagavatam itself. Uh, Bhagavatam is known as the brilliant sun. This Bhagavad Purana is as brilliant as the sun, and it has arisen just after the departure of Lord Krishna, to his own abode, accompanied by religion, knowledge, etc. Persons who have lost their vision due to the dense darkness of ignorance in the age of Kali shall get light from this Purana or this book, basically. Because in this age of Kali, there's uh, many verses in the Bhagavatam itself that describe the wonderful qualities of this age of Kali, that we're very short-lived, we have very poor memories, you know, we're always disturbed and misguided. So it's very hard for us to um, really stick and take up to any spiritual process. But Bhagavatam can actually give us light in this dark Kali Yuga. So now I want to discuss a little bit about the evidence for Srimad Bhagavatam being the highest literature. So here is another Goswami of the six Goswami. His name is Jiva Goswami. And not only Srila Prabhupada, but many other saintly personalities have said that there has never been a scholar like Jiva Goswami in the past, and there will never be another person like him. He was just, you know, one amazing person. In fact, his depth is so much that uh, he wrote some books and before he was leaving this world, he actually said, some of these books should be just buried in Samadhi, in Vrindavan, because no one ever in this current day and age is even going to be able to understand or access them. So there is actually a Grantha Samadhi. Grantha means scripture, and there is a Samadhi like that in Vrindavan, you know, Jiva Goswami's books. So you can understand something about his caliber just from that. So Jiva Goswami... He knew Srimad Bhagavatam. It's described that if you hold a walnut in your hand, how you know the walnut, you know, every groove on it and everything. Srimad ba- so Jiva Goswami knew Bhagavatam like that, you know, like holding a walnut in your hand. And so because he knew Bhagavatam so thoroughly, he also then wrote some other books called Sandharvas. And these, in these, he kind of... Uh, presented Bhagavatam like topic-wise, so he compiled like different verses from different places. So in the first of those books called Tattva Sandarbha, he presents the evidence for Srimad Bhagavatam. And that section is called Pramana Kanda. So the word um, Prama uh, actually means proof or evidence or the means of acquiring some knowledge. How do we know what we know? In English, there's a fancy word for it called epistemology. (laughs) 
So how do we know anything for sure what it is? So in this section, he discusses and establishes Srimad Bhagavatam as the supremely authoritative source of knowledge. And that's just like in a few verses, verses 9 to 18. That's just 10 verses, actually. And it's such an amazing book that people have done, you know, their whole PhD thesis based on just one chapter of, you know, the Sandarbha. <laughs> so it's very deep. So we're not going to go into the entire discussion because this would take like a few hours and it's very philosophical and I'm going to lose all my audience and I don't, want to ha I don't want that to happen. But I want to just share some essences from here. So, so he describes about 10 different ways you know, or pramanas or evidences, but then he says that of all these different evidences, three are the chief. The first one he says is pratyaksha praman. So pratyaksha means like direct sense perception, what we see, what we feel, what we touch, like that, what we smell. But then he says this is defective or it's, it cannot be absolute because a conditioned soul has four defects, starting with imperfect senses, right? We can hear certain things, but we can't hear what the dog can hear, or we can see certain things. We can't see what some other beings can see. So our senses are imperfect, we have a tendency to commit mistakes, and we have cheating propensity, and we have tendency to be illusion. So this cannot be an absolute you know, way of acquiring any knowledge, naturally. So then he says there is another evidence that is anuman, which is called hypothesis. So we see one, and we see two, and then we, say one, we put one and two together, and you know, we come up with a hypothesis, right? Okay, it's round, and it's white, and it's juicy. So it must be a rasagula, we think. But it could be other things. It's not necessarily rasagula. There are other Bengali sweets, <laughs> which are also white and round and juicy, right? And many examples can be given, but that's not our main topic. And finally, he concludes that actually the best way of acquiring knowledge is shabda praman, which means that hearing from the authoritative source. That is the best way. So, by, and, and, and following this, then he establishes what is that authoritative source. So that authoritative source has to be coming from a source that is not human in origin. It has to be beyond human. It has to be from somebody who's beyond all these four defects. So that has a fancy word in Sanskrit called aparashaya. So... After analyzing all the different sources of knowledge, he says that we find no other means or no other source but the Vedas, which afford the opportunity for achieving the objective. And why? Because the Vedas, they're not human in origin, and also their compiler is not a human, it's actually an incarnation of Krishna. It's Vyasadeva who's a literary incarnation of Krishna, who's compiled all the Vedas. So now this is, we're not going to go through this whole chart, so don't get scared. <laughs> so this is a chart just to show all the Vedic literature. Okay? So then he further discusses how, although he proved that Vedas are the most authoritative source, then he tells us that actually currently only 6% of the Vedic scriptures are available. So even if you were to read the Vedas, you wouldn't be able to reach that conclusion that Vedas actually want to present. So that, that's one reason he gives. And, and then he says that their meaning is very difficult to understand. And then he says that even the sages who try to explain this and comment on this actually you know, don't concur with each other and they argue amongst themselves. They disagree with each other. So then he says, so the Vedas typically are to be, are, you know, on this side. Oh, my pointer is not working. Okay. So on the left side is Shruti, and that's typically what's thought to be as the Vedas. So then he establishes further in the section that the Puranas are actually higher than the Vedas, which is on the right side, you know. Uh, Smriti, so uh, the difference between the two sides is basically that Shruti is just passed on from one generation to other only through hearing, whereas Smriti is composed by the sages. So 
traditionally, you know, people don't like to accept smriti because they think that, oh, people just are expressing, the sages are just expressing their realizations. So it's not the original what, you know, the absolute truth is given. So then he goes through detailed analysis and he shows how actually the Puranas and the Smriti are Vedic. And then he goes through a whole hierarchy within them. And then he finally, we're not going to go into all those details because, you know, I will lose all of you. <laughs> but again, some essences. And then finally he establishes that amongst all the Puranas, Srimad Bhagavatam is actually the topmost. And here's a few reasons he gives. He says that this is the only sattvic purana. Sattvic meaning that it's really in the mode of goodness. It's untouched by anything material. And that's the word called amala. Amala means there's no contamination whatsoever. There's nothing material within it. And also it has no human origin. And it contains the entire essence of the Vedas. In fact, Srimad Bhagavatam is a natural commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. Vedanta Sutra is like a summary of the Vedas, and Srimad Bhagavatam is a commentary on that. And um, it's currently available in full on the earth, unlike the Vedas. So with that, he establishes Srimad Bhagavatam to be the topmost authoritative literature. So let's go a bit further and see what is the Srimad Bhagavatam, right? So originally, for the first time, it was spoken by Krishna himself to Brahma. Brahma is the first created being, according to the Vedic conception. And when Brahma was first created, you can see Brahma is situated on top of the lotus flower here, and there's a long stem beneath it. So when Brahma was created, there was just darkness all around. There was no other being. And then he was wondering, like, where did I come from? <laughs> You know, what's my source? So he actually tried to go down this lotus stem. And he kept going down, 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 down. But he actually couldn't reach the bottom of it. And then he was wondering, you know, what, what have I been created for? What's my duty? Right? And as he was contemplating like this, then he heard two words. Tapa, tapa. And tapa means tapasya or austerity in um, uh, English. So he understood that he's supposed to do some austerities here. So he actually meditated for 10,000 celestial years. And each celestial year is actually, I wrote it down because I'm very bad at figures. It's 2.16 million years. <laughs> so 10,000 celestial years he meditated. And finally, Krishna appeared and he spoke, he revealed the essence of the Vedas, and he spoke Bhagavatam to him. But the Bhagavatam that was spoken to Brahma was just four verses, but it was like compressed, like a zip file. You have to know, you know, how to unpack it, actually, and Brahma, of course, knew that. <laughs> but we need so much unpacking that we have 18 volumes, <laughs> and we also have purports to that, and still we don't really fully understand it. <laughs> But Brahma understood it just from four verses. That was the origin of Bhagavatam. So Bhagavatam is also, as you've already heard, that it's a literary incarnation of God. And actually Vyasadeva compiled it because previously the knowledge was just passed through hearing. But Vyasadeva actually wrote scriptures down. And it is meant for the ultimate good of all people. And it is all successful, all blissful, and all perfect. So let's hear how Vyasadeva actually ended up compiling the Srimad Bhagavatam. Because Vyasadeva, he wrote all these Vedic literatures, right? It's very, very, very vast. And even after writing all that, he wrote all this just for the well-being of everyone. He wanted everyone to awaken their relationship with God and he wrote Vedas in such a way that people from all classes and walks of life and at different stages of spiritual realization, he wrote it keeping everyone in mind so that everybody can have access. And still, after writing all of this, he was not satisfied. I mean, it's like a monumental masterpiece. 
And he was not satisfied after writing all that. Just imagine, you know, if we write one book and we don't get reviews, we may feel pretty disappointed. <laughs> How long does it take even to write one paper or something or blog? It takes some time. But he wrote so much and he was dissatisfied. So he was really contemplating, you know, why is it so? You know, I followed all the vows. I had the interest, the well-being of everyone in mind. And I followed my spiritual master. I followed all the rules and regulations, all the disciplinary vows. And still, why am I not satisfied, right? So just as he was thinking like that, his spiritual master, Narad Muni, you can see over there in the left corner, up, his spiritual master, Narad Muni, appeared. And that's a nice principle we can take in our life, that whenever we're sincerely seeking, like in Bible it said, seek and ye shall find, whenever we're sincerely seeking, actually God will send someone our way to lead us to the right path. So Narad Muni came, and Vyasadev asked Narad Muni, okay, you know, why am I feeling like this? So then Narad Muni instructs Vyasadev that actually you haven't directly glorified the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You did, but it's not direct. And anything that's not directly glorifying the Supreme Personality of Godhead, it can never be satisfying to the soul. Because the nature of the soul is to always glorify the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So he said, you need to now meditate and go into trance and actually you know, write about these pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So sure enough, Vyasadeva fixed his mind, he went into meditation, and then he saw the Supreme Personality of Godhead along with all his energies. He saw uh, the internal pleasure potency and he saw the external energy or the illusory energy. And he realized, these are four beautiful verses in the Bhagavatam, he saw that because of this illusory energy, we living entities, although we have nothing to do with the material energy or the illusory energy, we actually come under the influence of that and we think that we are actually material in nature. And he understood that all the miseries we undergo is only because of that. And then he further saw that all these miseries that we have they're superfluous to us. Superfluous means that it's something external to the living entity. And he saw that they can be completely removed or completely mitigated just by the process of devotional service. And for that reason, he composed this Vedic literature or this Srimad Bhagavatam. And then he further says that by simply hearing, simply giving oral reception to Srimad Bhagavatam, Actually, bhakti or devotion sprouts within one's heart. This is the potency of Srimad Bhagavatam. And it can extinguish all kinds of lamentation and illusion and fear of all kinds. Right? So this was Vyasadeva's vision. Uh, and then he wrote the Bhagavatam. Later, Vyasadeva then in turn spoke this Bhagavatam to Sukadeva Goswami, another amazing, amazing personality. He was actually already beyond you know, anything material. He had no attraction to anything material. So it's said that actually when he was in the womb, uh, he actually didn't come out for 16 years. Imagine, poor mom. <laughs> 16 years, he didn't come out. And Vyasadeva was really getting worried you know, for his wife, naturally so. <laughs> he said, like, please come out. you know. And he's like, no, I'm not coming out <laughs> because... I don't want to get affected by material energy, so I'm not coming out. So finally, Vyasadeva went and begged, you know, Krishna, like, please do something, you know. And so Krishna personally, sorry, not yet. So Krishna personally comes and he tells uh, Sukadeva Goswami, you please come out. I promise you that you're not going to get affected by the material energy. And he comes out finally. But he comes out and he leaves home right away. He doesn't stay for a moment. <laughs> and Vyasadeva is going, Oh son, oh son, please come back. And he, all he hears is the trees echoing back to him. And he doesn't come back. So Vyasadeva is really thinking that I want to share this wonderful Srimad Bhagavatam with my son. 
And, you know, he's gone. So he sends a few of his disciples to go find him. So these disciples, you know, they're just chanting some verses from the Bhagavatam. And then Sukadeva Goswami happens to be there. So Sukadeva Goswami actually cannot be touched or moved by anything material. But as soon as he hears these verses, you know, immediately at once he feels attracted. So that also tells us that the Srimad Bhagavatam has nothing to do with anything material, but it's, the subject matter is completely, you know, transcendental. He at once gets attracted, and then he says, where can I learn more about, you know, where are these verses from? Where can I learn more? So he comes back, and then Sukadeva Goswami actually teaches the whole Bhagavatam to, um, sorry, Vyasadeva teaches the whole Bhagavatam to Sukadeva Goswami. There's so many wonderful stories, and I'm already looking at the time. Uh, I thought I would be way ahead, but we'll see. And then Sukadeva Goswami later spoke it to Maharaj Parikshit. And again, a beautiful, beautiful story. Maharaj Parikshit, he was the emperor of the whole world. And without going into all the details, he was actually cursed, you know, to die in seven days. Um, Again, I'm not going to the whole story. But, you know, he was thinking, he was contemplating, okay, what is the duty of a person who's about to die? And what is the duty of people in general? And then he went to the bank of the Ganges and he was asking these questions because many sages were there. And all these sages were giving many different answers. And they were actually arguing amongst themselves. <laughs> and just then, Sukade Goswami you know, comes there. And just by the spiritual influence or caliber of Sukade Goswami, everyone becomes quiet and Sukadeva Goswami takes a seat, and then he, say, he speaks the whole Bhagavatam in seven days. And um, after that, Maharaj Parikshit says, that I have no fear, let the snake bird come and bite me. I'm completely ready for death. And later, again, it was spoken by Sutta Goswami to the sages of Naimisharanya. So these sages also, they were very concerned for all of us in this age of Kali, and they were trying to do like a thousand-year sacrifice for the benefit of all of us. But all they were finding is that their faces were getting black with the smoke. And they were not really feeling much benefit until Sutta Goswami came and he started speaking the Bhagavatam again. And that was the last time Bhagavatam was spoken. And again, there's so many wonderful details to these stories and it's so hard to skip all of them. But... Hopefully you can get a little flavor and just get attracted to Bhagavatam. So the subject matter of Bhagavatam, it's actually already, I said, right in the second verse of Bhagavatam, this is the second verse of Bhagavatam, it says that it completely rejects all religious activities that have any kind of material motivation. And... It is also considered the spotless Purana. Spotless meaning, again, you know, no trace of contamination of any kind. And it is also considered, the, the Vedas themselves are some, sometimes considered to be like a desire tree because anything that you desire can be found within the Vedas. And so the Srimad Bhagavatam is actually considered to be the ripened fruit of all the Vedas. And it's a fruit that has been carefully handed down. You know, it's not just dropped. It's actually has been carefully handed down through the different saintly personalities. And because of their realizations getting added to it, it's like all the more sweet for us. So I already said this. This is the essence of all the Vedanta philosophy. And here's another verse supporting that too. So Srimad Bhagavatam is also considered to be Krishna himself personally. In fact, it is said that you know, the first two cantos are his, like his legs, the next two cantos are like his thighs and belly and so on, and the tenth canto is actually like his beautiful face. That's actually where we hear the beautiful pastimes of Krishna. And the eleventh canto is his forehead. It's actually very, very philosophical. That's why Krishna thinks. <laughs> um, so bringing Bhagavatam to your home is really like bringing Krishna himself. So we'll quickly go through, over the next few minutes, just some of the benefits of Srimad Bhagavatam. So Srimad Bhagavatam actually has, you know, all that any good book has, 
and more. So it has, if you're looking for adventure, intrigue, struggle, romance, drama, valor, mystery, knowledge, humor, beauty, enlightenment, healing, nourishment, devotion, and you can add more things. History, geography, cosmology, whatever you want to add, you know, there's, you, can, you can make the list really long. But you can find everything within the Srimad Bhagavatam. And, and it's wonderful. Um, in fact, um, my personal experience also with the Bhagavatam is that very, very healing and nourishing. Um, in the last uh, 10 years, you know, I've had something like half a dozen surgeries, like really major surgeries and stuff. And I've gone through some very difficult times apart from health. But Srimad Bhagavatam has been you know, my lifesaver, really. <laughs> the source of so much nourishment and healing. And because who is that one person who knows us inside and outside? It's Krishna. No one else. And Srimad Bhagavatam is non-different from Krishna. And so when you read Bhagavatam regularly, your experience will be that, you know, you will find that Bhagavatam addresses, you know, all the portions of your heart and even even some recesses of your heart that you never knew existed, it has a way of just touching everything and healing you and nourishing you completely and purifying you. So here's a beautiful verse which describes that one who faithfully hears or induces others to hear one verse or half a verse or a phrase or even a word for some time or even a moment without deviation is an able is capable of purifying himself. Amazing, right? It's not hard for any of us to read one word of Bhagavatam attentively every day. Everyone has time to read one word or one line. And so this is the verse that Prabhupada was thinking about. I said in the beginning, Prabhupada was thinking how, you know, by the, just by hearing Bhagavatam, Krishna situated within the heart can cleanse the heart. That's the hope he had. This is the verse that's showing that. And another one here. But I'm skipping because of time. <laughs> so, the, so Bhagavatam also makes the Supreme Personality of Godhead manifest within our heart. Like a magnet attracts iron, Srimad Bhagavatam can attract good fortune into your life. It's actually like a deity of Lord Krishna. Just by taking care of it, or even actually dusting the shelf on which Bhagavatam is placed, you can get benefit. And having Bhagavatam in your home is really like having all these wonderful, wise personalities, transcendental personalities in your home, like guests permanently. We don't like some guests, you know, we don't want to have some kinds of guests, but these are wonderful guests to have because they give us so much guidance and nourishment and actually having Krishna himself in our house. And it's actually non-different even from the spiritual world. So just by having Bhagavatam at your home, your house can even turn into like a place of pilgrimage. And children benefit tremendously. There's many devotees who just homeschool their children just using Bhagavatam. No other book, just Bhagavatam. Uh, we have like some wonderful examples, like some of you may know Radhika Raman Prabhu. He was just homeschooled, just based on Bhagavatam. He finished his PhD like when he was like 21 or something, you know, and he's an amazing scholar. <laughs> and we all want to teach values to our children, but we find that oftentimes it's not so easy to, you know, Im embed these values within our children. But Bhagavatam's stories are so wonderful that these values really, I mean, it's hard to explain how a book can do so much, just a simple book. But actually, it's true. I have seen children like transform in front of my eyes, you know, just from hearing Bhagavatam every day. So here's children learning verses of Bhagavatam. <laughs> uh, reciting and memorizing prayers from Srimad Bhagavatam will save one from the greatest dangers in this and in future lives. So here's actually another wonderful story of Gajendra. It's an elephant, Gajendra. He actually had performed devotional service in his previous life and he had read Bhagavatam. But in his next life, he became an elephant <laughs> because of some details, some offense and so on. But uh, he's getting chomped here by a crocodile. <laughs> 
And then he remembered actually some verses from the Bhagavatam. He started calling out, and then you can see on the top there's Krishna on his Garuda carrier, you know, coming to save him. So the glories are actually unlimited, but this is just to give you a little flavor or glimpse of Bhagavatam. Uh, there's actually many people who have appreciated Bhagavatam, many professors. Here's a couple of quotes. This is a work to be treasured. No one of whatever faith or philosophical persuasion who reads these books with an open mind can fail to be both moved and impressed. It has been my great pleasure recently to have read the Srimad Bhagavatam in the superb edition authorized by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. I'm sure this monumental work will go far to bring the sublime message of the Bhagavatam to numerous Westerners who otherwise would miss this opportunity. And there's many. I'm not going to read. I have a couple more, but I'm going to just skip them. Um, and I want to just end with this quote here. Uh, the benefit of giving Srimad Bhagavatam as a gift. This is a verse from the 12th canto of the Bhagavatam, which says that if on the full moon day of the month of Bhadra, one places the Srimad Bhagavatam on a golden throne and gives it as a gift, he will attain the supreme transcendental destination. And we're very, very fortunate, actually, and we want everyone to become very fortunate here. So we want to facilitate this gifting of Srimad Bhagavatam so you can attain, actually, the supreme transcendental destination. This month of Bhadra is in the month of September, so this actual date of Bhadra Purnima is on September 24th. And we're going to have a little program here in the temple uh, where we will um, you know, have everybody who, who's interested, of course, you know, gift these, this wonderful literature. And because we want everyone to take advantage of this special occasion, uh, we're just going to give it away also at cost price. You know, we're not trying to make anything out of it. And of course, the verse itself says, place the Bhagavatam on a golden throne. You know, in Kali Yuga, we're not very wealthy. We can't get a real golden throne. But we have ordered some beautiful golden book stands. Not real gold, but gold looking. <laughs> and Krishna understands the intention of our heart, so he'll accept the gold color. <laughs> and he'll accept our gesture. Um, so I want to just end uh, with a little two-minute video here. No, it's not working. But anyway, the video is basically a two-minute video by Vaisheshika Prabhu and Gopal Krishna Maharaj sharing about this Bhadra Purnima and encouraging all of us. Do I have on the iPhone? Yeah, we'll show it. It's okay. Um, yes. <laughs> Yes. So what questions, comments? You know? Yes. Do you have a question? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Microphone? Um, September 24th, is that like a Sunday or what? Um, what day I is it? I think it's a Monday. I think it's a Monday. Let me see. It is a Monday. <laughs> Yes, very important. It's a weekday, but we can still take advantage of this wonderfully potent day. <laughs> Next question. It's a comment. Uh, thank you so much, Mataji, for uh, letting us know the importance of uh, Srimad Bhagavatam. It's really inspiring. Uh, maybe I will try to start one word or line from today onwards. Thank you. Thanks for your class. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about what each canto contains. Um, yeah, what each canto contains. Yeah, uh, so it, there's 10 subjects that are s spoken of as a subject matter of Bhagavatam itself. Um, and the cantos have a little bit of overlap. You know, there's not like exclusively one subject. And they're not quite 
there's a chronology in one sense, but there's also not a chronology in another sense. But the chronology is of one of like awakening bhakti. But some of the topics that are described are creation, secondary creation, uh, protection, um, you know, the, the tendencies that we have, how we can purify them. Um, we have the pastimes of Krishna itself, you know, which are basically the loving exchanges between Krishna and his devotees. And uh, by actually um, understanding these wonderful loving exchanges between Krishna and devotees, we get to understand the nature of Krishna. That's predominantly in the 10th canto. There's also all the incarnations of Krishna that are described. Uh, the 5th canto deals with a lot of cosmology. Um, the seventh canto deals with this question, is Krishna fair? <laughs> uh, is God fair in all situations? And there's a beautiful story of Prahlad Maharaj told there. Um, so like that, yeah. <laughs> Hare Krishna Mataji, Hare Krishna. thank you so much for such an uh, inspiring class. Mataji, I have one question, like while reading Bhagavatam, it is so hard to remember what you have already read. So is there, like, could you please share, is there a way to study Bhagavatam? Or mm -hmm. How do we remember? I'm, I don't think I'm intelligent enough to remember what I have already read. Every time it's like a new, new chapter. So could yeah. you please? And well, everybody is gifted <laughs> with uh, different kinds of memory power. <laughs> Uh, but yet, although we may not remember all the technical details or so on, uh, it's not a cause to worry. We can still read Bhagavatam because Bhagavatam is actually working on our heart. And even we may not be able to recall everything, what is happening is that we are catching the essences as we are reading along and it is actually purifying our heart. And as we keep reading, you will also find well, one thing I'll say is that there are study guides for Bhagavatam. Burijan Prabhu has written this wonderful study guide called Unveiling His Lotus Feet for the first four cantos and then for the 11th and 12th, the backward glance. So it really helps to read using some study guides because there is a flow within the Bhagavatam. Uh, there is, uh, there's connections between each canto, there's connections between each chapter, there's connections between a bunch of verses, there's connection between each verse with the next. So one thing that really helps is to understand those connections and the flow of Bhagavatam. So there's a storyline and then there's like a philosophical thread also that's going through. So if you understand actually what is this speaking about, then you, you know, it's, it's easier to absorb. You may not remember verse by verse, but you will remember, you know, if you know, like, what is the essence or overview of each canto and then each chapter, then, you know, that you can certainly remember that. And then we can always learn some important verses that are there, um, because I, I, very few people can say that they know the whole Bhagavatam. <laughs> But there's some important verses which capture essences, and we can certainly learn, try to learn those. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, mine's a very simple question, but um, Amala Bhakta Prabhu has um, done a translation, like as a reading or uh, audio book. So is it equivalent if I listen to him versus reading because I'm kind of illiterate? <laughs> yeah, no, actually there is a website called bhaktivedantalibrary.org uh, .org or .com, I'm not, sh I don't remember, but bhaktivedantalibrary.com, I think, uh, which actually has somebody reading all the verses. The entire Bhagavatam is there in audio form. So for busy people like us, we can just, you can also download from there or you can, you know, just stream. And so you can keep hearing one canto after another canto while you're driving and doing other things. Yeah. While you're driving, it's safer to listen than to read. <laughs> yes, <laughs> good point. <laughs> yes. On that web page, there's also the option to just hear verses or verses and purports. Yes, yes, thank so you for that. Yeah. Hear, you know, not yeah. just the verse. You can just hear the verses. Or, although I think Bhagavatam, the purports are not there. It's only the translations. I, I Really? Oh, okay. There's the verses, the or just 
Okay, okay. It's an option. Okay, good. And it will save where you left off. Okay, it'll save where you left off so too. You don't have to go back and try to remember. You can just you, speak you, into the mic. You, so you I don't just have to log repeat. on and you create an account, and then it says my BV BVL, and then it saves where you left off. So you can just click on and then pick mm -hmm. up exactly where you left off. Mm -hmm. So it's very convenient to listen yeah. that way. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Yes. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Mataji, like, uh, I came to know Lord Ganesh also a writer, right, of the Srimad Bhagavatam. But you said Vyasadeva is a compiler, right? Yeah. But what is the contribution of Lord Ganesh? I came to know he's also... He wrote it. Vyasadeva was dictating it. Okay. Yeah. And also, like, I'm planning to donate uh, that Srimad Bhagavatam Bhadra. Mm -hmm. Let me know... To whom to yeah, so outside just right here we have a table set up for the Bhagavatam and we have a sign-up sheet there. So we invite all of you to give your names there so we can make sure that we have enough sets of Bhagavatam available on Bhadra Purnima Day. And you can gift it to your family, your friends. You know, if you, know, you don't have a Bhagavatam set, a husband can gift the wife, wife can gift the husband. You can also gift it on behalf of someone else, you know, or you can just donate for a set. You don't have anybody to gift to. We will gift it for you. So all kinds of combinations are possible. But please take advantage of this wonderful opportunity. We have one more question. Okay. Hari Bol Mataji. First of all, thanks a lot for your time and wonderful insight to Srimad Bhagavatam. So this is primarily a question that uh, I need help with because when I try to portray uh, the philosophy of Iskon and Srimad uh, Prabhupada, so he, I'm usually asked that uh, which is the book they should read first? Should it be uh, Srimad Bhagavad Gita or should it be Srimad Bhagavatam? Well, it's recommended in general that we read Bhagavad Gita to deeply enter into the messages of Bhagavatam. And yet... It is not wrong to read Bhagavatam also first because Bhagavatam is sometimes described like an ice cream <laughs> and you can lick it from any side <laughs> and it's still very tasty. And it may be true that we won't be able to enter very, very deeply, but yet, you know, we are not going to be like, like it won't fail to touch our hearts for sure. And, you know, to enter very deeply, it usually takes many readings also. Just repeat it. Yeah, okay. I, I'm not sure if I captured the entire question, but, uh, but basically you're saying both the books are trying to actually uh, get us about the modes of nature, and that's true. So Bhagavad Gita is more like, you know, Prabhupada said Bhagavad Gita is like undergrad, Bhagavatam is like postgrad, and Chaitanya Charitamrita is like PhD. <laughs> so that's how you can understand it. There's, you know, basics and there's more advanced understandings of those same principles. Yeah. Thank you. So please uh, join me in thanking Prematurangani for her class. And she is overseeing the Badra campaign here, so if you have any questions or want to talk more about uh, getting sets of books, plural, uh, you can contact her.